it will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is God's word to us. Thanks, Lisa. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all here, all your bright, smiling faces. Um, This is God's word, and I'm not God, so I'm going to pray that he would speak through me to encourage and challenge us all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have already spoken to us today, that your word has gone out. May it continue to ring in our ears and in our hearts. And Father, as I now proclaim your word, would you send your spirit to do its work, bringing your word to bear in each of our lives, so that we might love Jesus more and obey Jesus more willingly and be filled with more joy at our salvation in the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Tell me if this has ever happened to you, because it has certainly happened to me before. Something's on your mind. It's filling you with worry and anxiety, and you can't stop thinking about it. It keeps going around and around in your head, and the more it does that, the worse you feel, and the worse you feel, the more you think about it. It, It's just filling you with a sense of dread and concern, and you can't let go of it. Maybe it's uh, that job interview that's coming up. Maybe it's an exam, if you still sit exams. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's your kids. My kids, well, one of my kids has just started kindergarten. I know this feeling. Maybe it's a relationship that's on the rocks. Whatever it is, it it fills you with anxiety and it's kind of consuming your life at this point. You're losing sleep over it. You're barely eating because of it. And you're sitting with a friend and and you're telling them this. You know, I'm really worried, I'm really anxious, it's eating me up inside. And your friend opens to Matthew chapter 6. And they read these words to you. Don't worry about anything. Don't worry about what you eat or drink. God will provide. He loves you more than the birds. He loves you more than the lilies. And you hear these words and suddenly you feel like the exact same. Like it hasn't done anything. You're still full of worry and anxiety and dread. Those feelings, uh, if anything, are now mixed with annoyance at your friend who thought they could fix you. Why is it that Jesus' words here don't relieve our worries? Why is it that when people read this to us, rather than going, oh, cool, that's great, I don't have to worry anymore, we're like, no, you don't get it, Jesus doesn't get it. Why is it that we feel like that? Well, I think it's because that's not what Jesus is trying to do. Jesus isn't trying to soothe your worries in the moment. Instead, he's actually talking about something far bigger and more profound than any individual's worries, as big as they seem to us. You see, Matthew 6 isn't primarily talking about worry or anxiety. Jesus is actually talking about what drives your life, what consumes your thinking, what guides your decisions. Jesus is really talking about your ambition. Jesus is really asking, what is your ambition in this life? What is going to take your time? What is going to take your money? What is going to take your thinking? You see, Jesus here assumes that every single human has some kind of ambition. Big or small, grand or minor, 
He assumes that everyone has something that they'll lose sleep over, something that they pay attention to, that they seek after, that they worry about. There's lots of different ambitions that that you might have. You might be ambitious for a loving family. You know, kids who are raised right, who can show love and respect and have plenty of good opportunities. Your ambition might be to retire comfortably. You know, not have to worry about money. It might be to retire extravagantly and travel the world. Your ambition might be just, you know, security. I don't have to worry about money. I don't have to worry about safety. I don't have to worry about my health. Maybe that's your ambition. Maybe it's to get the job in that industry that you've been trying to get into. Maybe it's just to have a few good friends. There are lots of different ambitions, and Jesus wants us to confront ours today. In the Sermon on the Mount, which is where this passage comes from, it's kind of Jesus' big first big teaching in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus is teaching his followers here what it means to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God. And that's who he's talking to, people who want to be citizens of the kingdom of God. And now he tells them what it means to have their ambition of a citizen of the kingdom of God. And so today Jesus will challenge us. Where do your ambitions lie? And so my first point today is simply that there are, broadly speaking, only two ambitions. There are two ambitions. Look with me at those first few verses we had read out. So open your Bibles, Matthew chapter 6, keep them open, we'll keep referring to these verses, that way you know I'm not making this stuff up. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, let me read those few verses. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus lays out two options, two investment options for us. He says, you can invest in this world, enjoy the pleasures of this life. It won't last. Moths and vermin will destroy them. Thieves will break in and steal them. You can't take them to the grave with you. They'll all be gone one day. Jesus is saying, don't be hoarders. Uh, covetous hoarders of treasure in this world. Instead, the other option, the better option, is invest in heavenly treasure. Develop Christ-like character. Grow in the knowledge of your Saviour. Encourage your brothers and sisters. Introduce others to Jesus so that they too may inherit eternal life. Two investment options. Don't invest in the world. Invest in eternity. Invest in the things with an eternal impact, an eternal outcome. Invest in those things because no moths or vermin can destroy them, no thief can break in and steal them. And then right at the end we get this hint that Jesus really is talking about our ambition. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's saying that which of those two things you invest in reveals what you long for, where your ambition is, what you seek after, what consumes your thinking and your time and your money. What you invest in reveals your deep desire. That's the first example. The second one isn't about two treasures, it's about two eye conditions. Look at verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. 
If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Jesus is using the eye as as a metaphor, kind of like a camera shutter. A camera shutter opens and shuts to let in more or less light. And Jesus is saying, the eye is like a camera shutter that lets light into your body, into your life. If your eye is healthy, the shutter is wide and you let in lots of light and your body is filled with light. If it's unhealthy, it's shut, closed, and there is no light coming in. It's only darkness. And so Jesus again lays out two paths. Do you have a healthy eye or unhealthy eye? Will you be filled with light or darkness? The eye here kind of sounds like the heart that Jesus just mentioned. You know, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. What what, uh, condition your eye has reveals your heart. Will you let in light or will you be filled with darkness? The last of these three examples is about two masters. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, Jesus, in Jesus' time, being a slave is a reality. It, it, it's this whole economic system set up um, and Jesus isn't condoning it. He's not saying it's good. He's just using it as an example from life that people know. Okay, and Jesus said, God is like a master who makes exclusive demands on your life. You cannot claim to serve God and yet have some kind of side hustle. Imagine an employee of Apple, right? Apple makes phones, computers, iPads, things like that. An employee of Apple, an engineer who works there, who builds iPhones for Apple... And you always see them working hard at their desk. Every day you come in, they're sitting there working hard. But eventually you realise that one day a week, they're not making iPhones, they're making something from Microsoft. They're making a Microsoft computer. Do you think Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, would be happy with that engineer? Sitting at his desk in Apple headquarters, spending his time that he's been paid to develop Apple products, actually working for the enemy, I guess. No. Even our organisations demand exclusivity. God is far bigger and greater than Tim Cook. And and God says, if you're going to follow me, you don't get to follow anyone else. You devote your entire life and existence to me. You cannot serve both me and money. God is just too big. And money is just too dangerous. You cannot serve both God and money. God demands total dedication from his followers. I've rushed through those three examples. Each one could almost be their own sermon. But what I want to show you is there's, there's two paths, there's two ambitions. Will you seek after eternal treasure, the healthy eye that fills the body with light, serving God with all your life, or will you seek after worldly treasure? Will you serve money? Will you fill your body with darkness? Will you live in this world, among everyone else who lives in this world, the same way as everyone else? You can either be ambitious for God or ambitious for yourself or the world. They're the two ambitions. Within, within the, the self-world ambitions, there's a thousand different variations. I'm ambitious for a holiday, I'm ambitious for a job, I'm ambitious for a family, I'm ambitious for something to eat, I'm ambitious for... But it really boils down to two ambitions, God or the world. Jesus' message here is is very pointed. He's not giving you any wiggle room. 
There's no fence sitting. It's this or that. There's no third option. Will you serve God or will you serve yourself in this world? And he's speaking to those who do want to follow him, who do, who do say, Lord, Lord, who do say, Jesus, you're a great teacher, I want to follow you. And he's really pointing out to them, you know, your responsible investments in this world is actually just an excuse to serve money and not God. Because that's always the temptation, isn't it? Now, it is good to work responsibly for the future. It is good to enjoy the things of this world. Jesus isn't saying you can't enjoy worldly pleasures, you can't have worldly treasures. He's just saying don't invest in them, don't devote yourself to them, don't hoard them, don't be consumed by them. That is not the way the Christian ought to live. And so, what will your ambition be? Where will you invest? Where, or who rather, will you serve? Wealth or the, and the world or God? What do you want most? Is it your dream to have a fulfilling job? Or just a job that pays really, really well? Is it your dream to have that extra room in your house so that, you know, your kids don't have to share the room and they can stop fighting all the time? Or to turn it into a media room? Jeez, I'd love a media room. Do you want to be able to travel? Do you, do you want that nice car, that nice house, that nice holiday desk? What, what is it that you want? Because Jesus says, if you are ambitious for anything other than following God... You need to repent and turn around and follow Jesus. Follow God. Give yourself to him wholeheartedly. Make your, ambitious, make your ambition God. Until God is the one who drives your life, you're not living like a citizen of the kingdom. So be careful where your ambitions lie. Be very careful where your ambitions lie. But all that is in way to prepare us to understand what Jesus is saying about worry here. To understand why what he's saying isn't meant to soothe you in the moment that you're feeling worried, but to point to a bigger picture. But we do need to understand what Jesus is saying about worry here. Verse 25 starts with the word therefore. And a little hint, if you're reading the Bible for yourself or in a group or with whoever, every time you see the word therefore, you need to ask, what is the therefore therefore? Because it's very important, the word, that helps you understand what's being written. It connects what has come before to what comes after. Because of all this, therefore, do this. This is true, whatever it is. And the therefore here, it's saying, uh, you've got these two ambitions, therefore, this is how you ought to think about your worry. You see, worry and ambition, I think they're very closely related things. Ambition is about a future desire. Worry is about a future concern. Both take up your thinking and attention. Neither may come true. So it's about desire and concern that consume your time, your thinking, your energy, your money, your sleep. Now here in these verses, Jesus isn't just speaking about worry generally. He's speaking about very specifically worry about physical, material things in this world. And he seeks to free us from the worry of what we'll eat and drink and wear. He does seek to free us from these things, but not in the way we often look at this verse, these verses. Look with me uh, at verse 25. Let me show you two reasons Jesus gives. He says, Therefore, I tell you, 
do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is life more is not life more important than the food and the body more important than clothes? That last sentence is a really powerful argument, I think. We might skip over it quite quite quickly, but is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? The answer is obviously yes, it is. Way more important than food and clothes. Life is about far more than our physical needs. But what happens is when we worry about our physical needs and our physical desires, we we shrink life down to this really narrow thing. It narrows how we look at the world and Jesus reminds us that we we shouldn't be thinking like this, our life is all of this. I I once, uh, when I was in uni a a long time ago, uh, a lecturer gave me an assignment uh, gave the whole class this assignment. Um, and the assignment had multiple parts to it, but there was one part in particular that I was really excited about. I was like, oh, I can't wait to get started on that part. And I had all these great ideas, and I brainstormed them, and I workshopped them, and I worked really hard. I put hours and hours into making this thing work. Uh, and it came out, and I thought it was pretty good. And so I gave it, I handed it in to my lecturer, and my lecturer asks me, where's the rest of it? The rest of what? The rest of the assignment, you only did one part. There was three parts. I had narrowed the assignment down to just this one part that took up all my time and my thinking and I completely missed that actually I was meant to do all this other work. And don't worry, my lecturer was very kind and gracious and he's like, look, I'll give you another two days to finish it. And I, I got it done, but the quality of the other two parts was nothing like the first part. I was so focused on one part out of the three that my view just became so narrow and I missed the bigger picture. If we focus so much on the physical reality, we narrow life down and we miss out on the bigger picture. And Jesus says, life is more than that. The second reason Jesus gives us not to be consumed with worry, we see it in verse 26. He gives us two examples from our world. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Jesus says, look at the birds. They don't store up grain in a barn. They don't worry about where their next feed will come from. They don't, they don't make these big grand plans to uh, give their life so much security so they can do whatever they want. No, no, they go out, they hunt for their food, they find their food, and that's God's provision to them. They don't worry. And the lilies of the field, the flowers of the field, they don't clothe themselves in their petals. They don't even do any work. The birds have to work to get their food. The lilies, they just are. And God gives them more magnificent clothing than the greatest, most rich king of Israel. God provides for them even though they're here one day and in the fire the next. Neither the birds nor lilies spend their lives worrying about what to wear or what to eat, yet God provides. It is not our preoccupation with these things 
that means we have food to eat and clothes to wear. It is not our worry about these things that means we have food to eat and clothes to wear. It is God who provides for us. It is your heavenly Father who loves you who provides for you. Everything you have is a gift from God, including your salvation, the thing we need the most, forgiveness of sins, eternal life, all comes from God, not from us worrying. Jesus says, you don't need to worry because worrying doesn't provide. Jesus isn't saying God will just, you know, a divine hand will come down from heaven with a, full of food and clothing. He's not saying that. Like, you don't just need to give up and sit on your thumbs. And He's saying your worry doesn't help. It doesn't do anything. God loves you. And he is the one who gives you everything you have. Jesus is challenging the most widespread human preoccupation, I think, here. He is challenging the thing that sits at the forefront of most people's thinking throughout all of history. Stuff. Right? He's challenging our love of stuff. Everyone worries about stuff. Whether it's having enough stuff to survive or it's about living in luxury and abundance of stuff, or somewhere in the middle there. Everyone spends their time thinking about food, clothes, cars, houses, activities they want to do that are fun, little things they can enjoy in life. We all spend our time thinking about these things. And Jesus says, if you're going to live in my kingdom, you shouldn't be devoting yourself to these things. Or another way of saying it is your ambition shouldn't be for stuff. Because worry doesn't work with Christian faith. Your worry is incompatible with Christian faith. To be preoccupied with stuff, with the material and physical reality, is to say, I don't trust God as the provider and sustainer of all things. Now, will God always provide and sustain everything throughout all of history for every single person ever? No, that's clearly not true. War, famine, poverty mean that God hasn't given everyone equally. But worrying isn't the thing that's going to solve that. For some people, they do need to dedicate more of their time and thinking and money to these things. For others, they barely have to dedicate anything to it. But it all still comes from God. And so our worry doesn't work with Christian faith because it says, God I'm the provider, not you. And that's why Jesus asks the question that we're looking at today. Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Clearly not. The only person who can extend your life is our Heavenly Father, the Lord of life, the Creator and the Sustainer and the Saviour. He doesn't just extend it by one hour, but by eternity. We need to trust God the provider and stop devoting ourselves to this physical reality. Now, don't all go quit your jobs. That's not what Jesus is saying. The birds do work for their food, they just don't worry about it. The ant is commended in Proverbs 6. It says, the ant who stores away its food for the summer is a hard worker. It's a good commendation. We should think about the future, and preparing ourselves for it. It just shouldn't consume us. It shouldn't take up our lives and our worries and our ambition. We should trust our Heavenly Father who provides all things. 
not ourselves. You know, Jesus doesn't want Christians to be preoccupied with physical things. So what does he want us to be preoccupied with? He doesn't want us to be preoccupied because it draws us away from something far, far better. It it, it keeps us from the greater ambition that Jesus wants us to have. It's those who ignore and reject God who are so concerned about the material world. We see it, verse 32. For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Jesus is saying, the, the, the worrying, the being consumed about the physical reality, that's for those who don't know God, who don't realise there's a God who's created them and provides for them and sustains them. That's what they do because they don't realise that God is out there and God loves them and that God gives them everything they have. It is a worldly preoccupation. That's not the Christian preoccupation. That's not the Christian ambition. Verse 33, Jesus tells us, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. The Christian ambition the goal of Christian life, the thing that uh, takes up our time and our thinking and consumes us and keeps us awake at night, should be the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus wants for us. A complete devotion to the kingdom of God. Have you guys ever met an elite athlete, like an an Olympian, a professional um, sports player? Professional athlete. Have you ever met one? I've not, I, well, I have met a retired one and I've met and I went to school with a couple of guys who were actually sponsored to go to the States and um, one was going to play baseball and so he was sponsored to go to the States and study at uni there and play baseball. And, and these guys, they're, they're unreal. They're a bit, they're actually kind of weird because their life is, their life is just going a very different direction to me. I, in high school, I was like a scrawny, tall, skinny kid um, I was super nerdy, um, I'm not now, obviously, I'm super cool. Um, and, and these guys, they, they were like your classic jocks, big, beefy guys, not the smartest, although that's, you know, not every athlete's not the smartest. Um, but these guys, they, they were working hard to reach their goal of performing in, in professional sports. Uh, this baseballer guy, he had huge, massive arms to like knock the balls out, um, and he just dedicated all his time to baseball. Yeah, he sat in class and did that and got through that, but you could never hang out with him. He was always practising. His vision was firmly set on his goal, and so, you know, you're sitting down eating lunch, I'm munching on a Vegemite sandwich with half-stale bread. He's got this, like, meticulously crafted salad with all the correct nutrients he needs to build the muscles and uh, do whatever he needs to do so that he can perform at his best when the scouts are there uh, that will recruit him and pay his way through uni so he can play with the best in the world. Now, ironically enough, he he never actually got there. I think he injured himself not long after high school and, and couldn't play. But his life was just going in a very different direction to mine. And you could see every single interaction. I could tell your life is not my life. The things you care about are not the things I care about. And Jesus is saying that's what the Christian life should be. We see the world and their ambitions and their very narrow view of life. It's about things and stuff, whether it's survival or abundance. And we should look at them and go, that's not what my life's about. That's not what I care about. You are a very different person to me. 
doesn't mean we don't love them and know them and, and share the gospel with them and be good friends with them. It's just, you just notice it. Your life is different to my life. We no longer look for status and comfort and security. We seek first the kingdom of God. That is what our life is about. So what does that mean? What does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? When we're not looking in closets, is it in here? Is it not under the cushions? We're not looking in the sky, looking for it to come from the clouds. What does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? It means to wholeheartedly be devoted to the spread of the reign of Jesus Christ our Lord. To be wholeheartedly devoted to the spread of the reign of Jesus Christ our Lord. The kingdom of God is God's rule over his people through the Lord Jesus. The kingdom that God himself brought about when he sent his son to die and to rise again as king, that rule begins in our lives with humble repentance, belief and trust in Jesus and submission to him as our king. And those under the rule of the kingdom, for those under the rule of the kingdom, our great ambition is that that reign wouldn't stop in our lives but would go out. Now, it does obviously start with us. For us to seek first the kingdom of God, we need to seek that we would submit to the reign of Jesus more and more and more every single day of our lives. It means every department of our life. Home, marriage, family, relationships, personal morality, professional life, business ethics, your tax returns, your lifestyles, your citizenship, whatever it is, all these things are submitted to King Jesus joyfully and freely submitted to King Jesus. But seeking after the kingdom of God doesn't end just with our lives. It extends to helping others submit to the reign of King Jesus. Both as we encourage our Christian brothers and sisters and we challenge them and rebuke them and we love them and we teach them and all those things to deepen their submission to Jesus, but also as we seek to see more and more and more come under the reign of Jesus for the first time. Seeking first the kingdom of God means Christians growing in maturity and in numbers. It means both edification and evangelism. It means getting and growing. It means making disciples. Disciples of yourself, disciples of others. That's what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. That's the ambition Jesus would have for us to give our lives to disciple-making in our church as well as at home or work or in your sports teams, your club, with the guys you ride bikes with, in the street, the guys you play hockey with, the basketball with, or whoever it is. Every single moment of your life is dedicated to disciple-making. Jesus calls us to be devoted to this, to make it our ambition to make disciples. And a kingdom ambition, it can't be a small ambition, right? Right? We can have small ambitions, Um, you know, maybe we just have the small ambition of having enough to eat and drink every day. We can have larger ambitions, the house, the car, the holiday, whatever it is. But our ambitions for the kingdom of God cannot be small. If we're to have God-honouring ambitions, they can't be modest. There is something wrong with having small ambitions about God, isn't there? How could we be content to say, Jesus just needs a little more glory? Just think about it. God sent his son to die. 
to rescue, to redeem, to establish this kingdom. God has given up his one and only son so that he might bring this kingdom into existence. Don't you think that God who sacrificed his son for the kingdom deserves big ambitions from us? And so we commit ourselves to big ambitions. And I'm not saying this theoretically. We as a church have committed ourselves to big ambitions. Our vision 2030 is a big ambition. We don't talk about this much from the front. We should probably do it a little bit more. I'm going to take the opportunity to do that now. Our vision 2030 is a big ambition for the kingdom of God. If we're to achieve our vision, we will have 400 people gathering with us part of Marshall Community Church over a weekend. 400 people. If we're to achieve our vision 2030, it means between now and the end of 2030, 130 people have come to know Jesus through the work of the gospel here. 130. It will mean having seven more interns like Jean just in 2030. Oh, sorry, by 2030. These are guys being equipped for gospel ministry, some to stay here, some to be sent out. If we're to achieve our vision, it means not just uh, meeting people like Rick and Ellen and committing to support them, but raising up our own Rick and Ellens and sending them out to gospel work in Australia and overseas in the world. It's not a small vision, but how could it be? How could we, be, how could we settle for a small vision of the kingdom? Our ambition is our Heavenly Father's ambition, so it cannot be small. Now, sure, we may not reach all the particulars of our vision, and that's okay. We trust that God is going to bring about his big kingdom vision in our church. We, we believe that God will see himself glorified in Marsfield and Ride and Sydney and Australia and the world. Even if our particular details don't happen, I am confident that God will do that. And so make it your ambition that God's kingdom grows. Make it your ambition that Jesus' glory grows. Give your time to these things. Give your life to these things. Whether you're at work, uni, home, seek first the kingdom of God. Whether you play in a sports team or meet with some guys to play D&D, make it your ambition to seek first the kingdom of God. Whether your kids are, are babies who cannot walk or talk, they're in school or they're grown adults with their own families, make it your ambition to seek first the kingdom of God. It is for everyone who is part of the kingdom of God it is their ambition. It is our great ambition. So let me sum up quickly before I pray. Jesus has laid out two ambitions, broadly speaking, two ambitions for our life. To seek after God or to seek after the world. And he said that seeking after the world, it doesn't work for the Christian life. It is incompatible. To seek after the world says you don't trust God. It says you, haven't, you don't have the heart that seeks God first. Instead, he says, that's what the pagans do. You, however, are to seek first the kingdom of God. And as you do, you will find that you've stored up great treasure in heaven. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your deeply challenging word to us today. Thank you that you have reminded us about your good provision about your great salvation, help us to seek first the kingdom of God. Father, each of us have our own worldly, small ambitions. Father, help us to make them subservient to the far grander ambition of seeking first your kingdom.
And Father, we pray for our Vision 2030, that we as a church would strive to see it happen, to see it become reality. But may we continue to submit it to you and your glory. We pray that you would do amazing things in Marsfield and Ryde and Sydney and Australia and the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.